1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. And uh, here we are in the middle of the Property Core Skills series, and we have another Property Core Skill to talk about today. And I've kind of, you know, talked about this as being investment investment criteria and deal review, and we're going to talk about some, you know, lists of things that we might consider and some numbers which we might cons- uh, consider an evaluation, perhaps before we go into a transaction and maybe later on once we own a property or we have you know, properties in our portfolio. So that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, I- I'm glad to say I'm joined by a group on the panel today, uh, another, you know, um, group who have willingly put themselves out one evening. So, I'm very grateful you can join me. I'm just going to go around the room. We've got Dominic, Carl, Jeff, and Nana. And if you could just introduce yourselves quickly in that order, that would be very, very helpful. Thank you.
0: Okay. Thanks, Richard. Hi, I'm Dominic. Uh, I've been investing in property since about 2017. Um, I bought my first property, my residential property to live in, in 2007, I think. Um and then I moved in 2012, so I kind of became an accidental landlord then. So I wasn't looking to invest in property, but um, yeah, I managed to keep on keep hold of my first property. But then around 2017, I thought um, so I started looking into this seriously. So I started investing then uh, in property. So since then, I've kind of I guess progressed a fair bit in four years. Built a small portfolio of um, buy to lets, HMOs, and um, holiday lets um, with myself or by myself and also with a couple of JV partners um so yeah my, my aim is to invest further grow the portfolio and uh, replace the income from my day job basically which um yeah it's uh I'm, I'm uh, time poor because my day job keeps me very busy so hopefully I'm looking to replace
2: that sooner rather than later sounds good thanks Tom appreciate that
3: hi Richard I'm I'm Carl I've been um Uh, Investing property since about 2010. Uh, Over that time, I've built up a small portfolio of buy to lets, both um, investing by myself and with joint venture partners. Over the last year or two, I've been more primarily focused on pursuing commercial conversion opportunities, looking at larger projects. Um, So, so my interest in this conversation tonight is both around uh, buying smaller properties, but also assessing larger commercial conversion opportunities. That's good, Carl. Thank you very much. Welcome. Good to see you.
2: Hi, Richard. My name is Geoff. I've been investing in property for just over 10 years now, uh, focusing on single vitalettes, mainly up in the northwest. Um, my priority is just to get an additional income. I'm not too keen on giving up my day job. I enjoy it completely at the moment but having the additional income is great. So continuing to do that and hopefully looking into a bit more uh, different deals from single lets, HMOs, maybe some older lets with the current environment.
1: Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you.
4: Hi, um, my name is Nana and um, I'm from Sweden. Me and my fiance have a company in the UK. And we have invested since 2019. We're in our beginning of the journey. At the moment, we have three rent to rent HMOs. We just completed one by to let that it's on renovation. And yeah, we have uh, done tri- and tried different strategies just to test the waters. And uh, yeah, we're still doing that. And my goal is that next year I will leave my work so I can focus on on the property full-time and scale. And, uh, yeah, that's about me.
1: Nana, welcome back. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a couple of welcome backs here, actually. So, um, But, yeah, Nana, Nana has been one of the consistent members for sure. Thank you. Brilliant. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate that uh, intro. So let's get into things. So in, let's start with investment criteria. So what are we talking about? Do you know What I mean by investment criteria is can we describe what we're going to invest in? Um, so that in loose terms is what I mean by that. So over to you. Do you have a way in which you can describe what you're looking to invest in, whether it's an investment or development, obviously? Um do you, do you do that currently? And if so, what sorts of things are on your on your list? If you like,
0: do you mean um, like property or um, like the metrics? I mean, when you say invest in.
1: Well, it, what's on your list? I don't know. Um, so I'm just keen to oh. understand how what your views are. I mean, um, okay. my views is I've got
0: some property stuff and I've got some some numbers stuff or metric yeah. stuff, yeah. So for me then on the on the property side, um, I mean, I guess I mostly look at vitalettes, um, HMOs, holiday lets, um, trying to extend that a little bit with BRRs. Um, so that's, so I'm not looking at like larger developments, like I think Carl and perhaps some others are, um, but yeah, they're the kind of, um, like assets, I guess I'm looking for. Um, but then on the metrics side, yeah, cause I'm trying to replace my day job. It's just, I'm looking for something that kind of nets, uh, a certain amount per month, uh, profit. So about like around 200 pound a month profit. That's kind of one of my key metrics that I look for.
1: So, that you, so you so got on the number side, you got something measurable there with the two hundred pound a month, and on yeah. the property side, you talked about different strategies. But if I were to say to you, you know, it's an HMO in
0: uh, I don't know Timbuktu. Yeah. Do, you, do you, would you would you say that fits your criteria? I'm, I'm not averse to investing further afield. Um, perhaps not Timbuktu. I don't know too much about that area. Um, <laughs> so it would take a lot of time, I think, to 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 look into that um but Mm -hmm. if it's an area i know or or somewhere in the uk obviously because i know the market in the uk pretty much but if it's a property abroad depends on where obviously Mm um so i take a bit more work but there's a few actually areas abroad i have been looking at yeah okay for similar for for holiday lets primarily
1: makes sense interesting and what about other people
2: yes so i'm a bit of a bore really when it comes to investing i I hop back to my point last week, a few weeks ago, about knowledge is king. I like my single lets. I like to know where I'm investing, what I'm investing in. Um, I have a very small search area for my my properties, so location is is is, is the thing for me. I need to know exactly what the demand is and all the criteria we've previously spoken about, uh, about a particular area. So I'm very, very boring when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, I I do have, I I do look for HMOs. I'm something I have started to look into, but obviously they have different criteria for me as an investor than a single let. So all my single lets are, that you're looking for a return on investment for me between 15 and 20 percent. Um, and that's that's what I would expect. Um, that usually corresponds to about seven or eight percent gross yield. Um, but I am just boring. Um, when it comes to HMOs, I've got a lot, um, uh, been looking a lot recently, and obviously the, the current market is. Crazy prices are going up, people are buying at crazy figures. Um, As soon as a a property comes up for sale and the the words HMO or possible investment come into the the search criteria, it's suddenly snapped up for crazy money. So, on a HMO for me, I'm looking at around probably 20 to 25 percent, and I just can't see those numbers at the moment. And it's it's disappointing, but it's something that we need to live with and we'll see how things go over the next few weeks and months.
1: Yeah, Jeff, I mean, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's boring. Um, you know, I think having a lot of uh, information available to you, it will keep you safe, right? So um, I wouldn't just say that's a boring thing. I think that's a good thing. But um, in terms of the criteria, then, you say obviously it's different. And then you have a, you know, a lot of things you look into. Just kind of give us a flavor. What sort of differences might there be between, say, a single let and an HMO on the one hand? And then second of all, if, do you have a list of criteria that you would check off uh, written down or on a you know, device or something? And if so, how long is your list?
2: Yes and no. I don't, I don't have anything written down. Um, it's all about feel. Um, it's all about knowing an area and knowing where's good, where's not, and what you'd expect from those particular areas. So, the biggest thing is the HMO is different than a single let. A single let is looking for good schools, good network for shops, etc. HMO, you're looking close to town centres, uh, transport links, etc. So, there's certain criteria which are slightly different, but they both benefit from the, the same criteria. There's a lot of overlap. Um, But generally, you're looking at at the things we've previously previously mentioned about what we're looking for in an area. What is the employment? What is the actual shops like? Is there a a shopping development with restaurants? Uh, Is there a train station? All those different things that we've talked about previously.
1: Okay, sounds good. I'm wondering, has anybody got a written list?
4: We have a a written list and uh, a lot of what Jeff said, we actually have that as well, because as you're aware, we're from Sweden. So we need to like the, the data is very, very important for us. Beside calling the agents and et cetera, and asking them what's the demand is, but uh, we we look like from from uh, the salary, what people are earning, um, uh, how how they where they want to live, where where the closest amenities, basically what Jeff said, and then depending on what type of property we are looking after if it's a terrace house or flats or semi-detached that also uh, depends how much we're willing to pay and yeah everything uh, and and my fiance is an accountant so she's very good with the excel and all of this stuff (laughs) But we have a criteria of 14%-ish on, on the buy to let. But as you're aware of, if let's say if we are in a in an area where it's a lot of capital growth, then maybe we can lower the RUI because we will then retain it back through the capital growth and we get our money back much easier. So it's it's a bit of like you need to look about uh, looking at the whole picture and not just like the RUY. Like there's so much stuff that uh, you need to factor in. So we try to keep us in the HS2 area or surrounding areas, cities that are surrounding to to that, because we know that the capital growth would go up and the demand would be there. So, uh, and yeah. Just looking what type of employers are in the area and coming or moving out. So you don't you're not like stuck with just one employer and then they leave and uh, yeah your investment goes down south.
1: Sounds good. Hey, maybe your investment goes down south
2: wouldn't be such a bad thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, depends. Yeah.
1: Come on, Carl. I bet you've got a list. I bet you've got a list.
3: Um, I I tend to um, so moving away from the 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 more house kind of buy to let discussion and moving on to um, the other stream. I focus on which commercial conversions. I I tend to use my deal analyzer um, to kind of capture all the, all the different elements to compare to to check for. But that's probably the second stage. Um, I, yeah, honestly, don't have a list for the first stage, which is the more kind of uh, um, basic stuff. So location, like in around the London commuter belt, like how far from the town is it? How how long does it take to walk to the station? What's the flood risk? Um, how big is the building? Um, does it is it below fifteen hundred square meters? So suitable for Class MA, for example. Um, is it listed? Is it in an Article 4 area? What's the planning history? Um, so those are the, the initial criteria that the deal has to, to, to clear in order to start looking at it in more detail. Um, then then comes in that the analysis stage, which is, is very involved, um, looks at the, the area in a bit more detail, the sales and rental demand, the demographic, looking at the, the GDV of the project, the bill costs, the duration of the project, And once you've got those core components um, a bit clearer, then you can start to see how the the deal stacks up. Um, So bottom line really is the bottom line metric that I'm I'm looking for amongst others is 20% return post-finance. There's other metrics in there that I look to see, kind of look look to make sure they're looking okay. Um, But that's the the variable process I, 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 I follow.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that the, you know. Obviously, you've kind of touched on a the point there, which is that there could be levels, right, uh, or layers.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, or you know, I, I often liken this type type of uh, critique or analysis or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's peeling an onion.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, there's m- multiple layers. You just peel an onion, and and if it works, you keep peeling. If it doesn't work, you stop peeling. And I think that's the principle.
3: Yeah, and try and try and prove or disprove an opportunity as early as possible. So it's. In the past, I've gone through like checking and checking and checking, doing all this analysis, and then you realise it's Article Four. You think, oh, it's true. So you, so you refine your process. You you move the easier checks further upstream. Um, try and try and kill it as soon as possible. If it if it's going to die, it's going to die.
1: Um, yeah, try and kill it as soon as possible. Quite like that. Yeah.
3: Because <laughs> the one one thing that I, I've noted, I've found is you you can't be soft on the analysis process you you have to be pretty tough and pretty ruthless i mean um obviously you try and make it work as best as you can but you can't be overly optimistic um if it's not going to work then you want to find that out now rather than further down the line yes. yeah that's
1: a good it's a good point, actually, because, you know, there's there's literally, what, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of properties. Um, I don't know if there's millions, but there's hundreds of thousands of properties, you know, to choose from. So um, there's, there's kind of plenty around. You don't necessarily need to force it. Okay, they're not all on the market at the same time or available to purchase or, or invest in at the same time. But there's quite a lot. It's quite slow moving, I suppose. But um, there's another one that will come by. So it is worth being brutal. Um, cool. Uh, I was just distracted there by uh, what I can see on screen, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I've got to tell you now, because it's a podcast here. Yeah. Uh, Nana's just had his dinner brought to him. So that's uh, that's amazing. I'm going to ask him a question now so he can't start eating. Um, now, let's just talk about, let's talk about some of the numbers then. So what are your key, what are, what are your favourite key you know, performance indicators or the metrics or the numbers that you look at? on, oh, just just give me a few of your
0: favourites. I'd just like to understand that. I just use two really, so ROI and uh, net, net cash flow, net profit per month. They're just the two I use. I don't find anything else too helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Just keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah,
4: definitely. Use? I was going to say, what do you use, Nana? So uh, net cash flow. RUI, and uh, the potential capital growth. <laughs> the potential so we 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 go through five years and then we just split it uh, the median of that. So we put that as as a as a, yeah capital growth ish, but. I mean, this year has been quite unfair and last year <laughs> if you compare it with uh, what it's been before. But, yeah, okay. that's, that, that, that's those three metrics we go on. Okay.
1: Sorry, Jeff. I think I, I cut across you there when you were about to start talking. What were you going to say?
2: I literally just going to reflect what what Dominic and I said. It's, yeah, ROI and the cash flow. It's, they're the things that rule all my investments. Uh, the the simplest thing to do is before you get into all the analysis that Carl was saying is look at those the ROI is that in your range does that meet certain criteria it's easy to do easy to reflect on and suddenly you you can then just jump out of a a deal many many years ago I've I've, spent hours and hours and hours looking at a property going through all the analysis and then realizing the the ROI wasn't good enough for me or then pinning or oh, finding one that was good enough for me and then pinning all my hopes, all my dreams on that single property, which is ridiculous. Um, But when you're a new investor, that, that's what you're thinking about. You're thinking with that first or your second uh, property in your investment and that's what you need. It's a perfect deal and suddenly someone else comes along and buys it from you or your, all your analysis doesn't seem right because you, you've missed some obvious things out which you, you didn't expect to see.
0: Very good.
1: Driven by the ROI and the net cash flows, pretty uh, pretty high up the ranking so far, a little bit of capital future, potential capital growth, but I bet the, the developer amongst us might have maybe one or two more.
3: Yeah, so back back to um, development projects. So the, the headline metric for me is the the return. Post-finance. So this is the, the overall profit that the project will return versus the total cost of the project after taking into consideration any development debt costs um, and purchase debt costs. Oh, um, th- so this is also important because the, the banks and investors will be looking at this. So even if you're willing to drop it maybe to 17, 16, 15% you might be willing to take that as a developer, but then you might struggle to get um, uh, development finance from the banks. Then on top of that, also keep half an eye on the annualised return for investors. Um, How much would they get year on year from the investment? Uh, If it's a hold model, I might look at um, the number of units held and the number of units that need to be sold to to exit the deal and the the net cash flow, um, I tend not to look at capital growth because I'm focusing on the um, in the southeast so the London commu- commuter belt, so um, most areas I look at are high um, capital growth areas anyway
1: yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised you talk about profit, and you do make a really good point about the funders they they basically they force you. To mm-hmm. do a good project, actually, it's not bad in a way yeah, yeah, it's good because see. they kind of basically say, "Well, we think you need to do twenty percent profit on your total cost." Otherwise, we won't lend to you. <laughs> it's not a bad discipline to get into, is it? But the the irony, though, is if you've got a, if you've got an interesting exit strategy, so for example, if you want to build to rent, then you'll think, "Well, I could probably take more of my profit on the back end on the rental." And therefore, maybe I could take a, a pinch below the twenty percent. Equally, as you just alluded to, if you've got kind of a split strategy, where you you might sell a few units and retain a few units. Um, you know, you can actually again, you know, pay yourself back out at the back end as well, and that so that that does sort of change things. But unfortunately,
3: the lenders probably won't join you in that journey. So yeah, yeah, there's an interesting one that because when you start looking at the hold model, sometimes you see. You see the net return being higher than what you what you're looking for and you start thinking okay well maybe I can increase the purchase price because I'm still going to be hitting my rental targets but then of course the flips flip side is that is as you say the bank aren't interested in holding it they they're saying well if if we, when we can come to the end of the project we need to exit this or even exit it at any stage prior what what is the, going to be the return for selling it all or what is the the sale exit
4: yeah
1: so that's interesting because that's kind of driven by a third party, which obviously in this case is a bank. So banks and lenders, uh, sorry, not banks and lenders, uh, banks and valuers, what I meant to say, um, you know, definitely control the purse strings, I can say that. And therefore they can control a lot of what we do as developers unless we happen to be funded through personal cash or, you know, private finance or something like that. Yeah, very good so we spent a bit of time looking at maybe going into a deal all right so investment criteria to buy investment criteria to you know to measure you know the 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 deal but I think part of this conversation is all about well, well what happens once you've got a you've you own a property so you own a property maybe several properties in which case we're talking about a portfolio so it do we have criteria? Do we have metrics for properties in our portfolio, whether it's one or many? And if so, uh, what are they? And equally, does that help us in any way? What do we do? Do we have a process? Do we, have, do we make decisions around the information that we're finding out?
0: So that's just something I've recently actually built into um, what I have in Airtable. So I use Airtable to like, track my portfolio and the rental income. So past few weeks, actually, I've uh, built something in there to help me track all the metrics. Um, So it's mostly automated, although I still need to put in a few figures in there. Um, But it's kind of good because then it gives me like a real-time ROI. Um, I also got like a lifetime cash flow, 12-month cash flow, some other figures in there as well, so I can see how each property is performing. So, yes, it's not 100% um, kind of accurate because I don't have all the accounting uh, numbers in there, but like on a per property basis, it allows me to do comparisons between each property, which I think is useful.
4: Yeah. uh, We also have one, uh, we call it income summary. So we have all of our rent-to-rents and um, we also have, like if we if we even do like a commercial like we have done now this several months, <laughs> as, uh, we have how much we have paid for that for that Facebook ads, and then how much they have generated for us. So we try to track everything and see which uh, property is performing better, and and also as we have other investments. Uh, like stocks and treasure bills and etc. We try to compare them with, okay, this one went, went much better than than uh, the properties and etc. So just trying to have track on, on everything.
2: Thanks, Nader. Just going back to when you actually did the introduction as well, the certain uh, key areas when I do reviews of my properties. So you mentioned about when you remortgage, mortgage um, when you have any tenants. That sort of key areas when I reassess what, what I want to do with my properties. Um, another one is uh, I do an annual rent review. So should I be increasing the rent? Is the rent fair? Um, but I then look at the tenant. Is the tenant a good tenant for me? Are, are they worth keeping are they worth actually working with um like previously i've done re- reductions because the tenant is a good tenant they keep the property really well That they tell me exactly when things go wrong why they go wrong that is a tenant worth keeping um so that's one of the criteria for for me is who is the tenant and how have they interacted with me and how have they kept the property um, i say remortgaging is another times right do i want to Then remortgage this property, do I want to sell it because is the ROI uh, good for me? And then another criteria is the overall condition of the property. Uh, So I look at the property and go, all right, the boiler is falling apart. It's taking a a lot of servicing, therefore I need to replace it. Is that worth it? Uh, I look at other things like the kitchens and the bathrooms. What condition are they in? Have I replaced them? Do they need replacing the things like carpets and, and general condition is that something that is going to cost me a lot to do in the short term and therefore not worth holding onto the property in the long term because the tenants or the area that it, it's been purchasing is not is not growing well or it's not renting out well. So there's there's a lot of things. And then there's the, the upside is has the the property done really well and therefore I can release a lot of funds uh, so I can either remortgage or like a couple of properties have got my own name, so I wouldn't remortgage them. I'd probably end up selling them uh, if they were doing well um, because of tax implications, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I'm going to come back to some of the points you've made there, Jeff. You make some really interesting points, but um, let's give uh, Carl the opportunity of joining in this part as well.
3: Yeah, probably similar points to what's already been raised, um, assessing each individual property, in the portfolio on an annual basis, looking at how much leverage there is and, of course, the overall loan-to-value, how much exposure there is um, to development, to, to, to debt. Um, but also assessing properties um, on a performance basis based on not so much how much was invested originally, but kind of reviewing that based on how much capital is left in in, in the deal, like, would it be better to to sell that and invest it elsewhere is it? So maybe maybe the property price has gone up and' um, be worth exiting for better investment
1: Yeah, so that, I'll, I'll start with that point last uh, that last point first, which is the difference between return on investment or cash the original cash investment and the return on equity. You know, so if you've got equity that's built up in your property, that's not the same as the original cash investment. And what sometimes people find is that because uh, house prices are changing over time, the usual is that the equity position increases over time. And so it that you know, if you if you just look at your ROI or whatever the figure is, I put thirty grand into this property. Just pick a, a whatever it is, right? I put thirty grand into this property, and you just keep looking at your rental performance versus that original cash investment. But let's say, for argument's sake, that that and and that you know that that thirty grand was maybe twenty five percent of the value of the property. But let's say that you know you've done really well from that property, and it's now you know sixty grand of equity. Well, you know, if you do your returns based on your equity position, the 60 grand versus your 30 grand, you'll get a different result. And so um, I think that's really good to highlight that, you know, because people often, you know, forget that. And then what is that equity serving you in the best way? Um, and Jeff, you also kind of talked about, you know, uh, you talked about evaluating whether the property still serves you, whether the tenant, fun enough, is still serving you. I got, clocked you with that. And also you're talking about potential maintenance or refurbishment costs that, that either are going to ha- happen now or maybe sometime in the future, I imagine, is what you're identifying. And, uh, and whether it's uh, an opportunity perhaps to, to do something different. And that's what I was driving at. So when it's okay to track things and measure things and have a nice fancy spreadsheet. But the question is, so what? So what? What are we going to do with that information? apart from it being a nice fancy spreadsheet, you know, and we can have a red, amber, green, and we can have flashing lights for all, you know, all we like. But what are we going to do with that information? So do what do people do as a result of this review process? So whether it's triggered by a remortgage or a change of tenancy or your tax return or whatever else, um, what do you do when you've kind of got that information on some sort of report or dashboard or whatever it is, spreadsheet, what do you do? do you do anything? Or do you just look at you know look at it? I'm sure the answer is not, you just look at it, right?
2: Well, um,
0: yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I think I mentioned at the start, I've only really been investing since 2017. So I've only, I guess, got these processes in place the past year or two. Um, so I've not had much opportunity to act on, I guess, the results. Um, there is one property I have, which is not uh, one of the first properties I've purchased actually is an investment property, which has not performed great. Um, and actually, yeah, running these numbers and looking at these metrics has just kind of reaffirmed that as so a property I'm looking to sell. But um, yeah, from from that point of view, it's, it's kind of just uh, confirmed my decision to sell that property in the near future.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I've had a, a couple of instances, especially with tenants. Um, obviously, uh, we I try and. Uh, have low income tenants so people on universal credit etc so I've had ups and downs with those types of tenants but one particular instance where there's a tenant who's faltered on a few payments finally getting the money back from them it's one of the properties that hasn't really uh, grown Uh, it's not a particularly growth area so there's no cash stored up into this investment but it's a good rental income when the tenant's paying so do we the decisions are do we actually let the tenant go um, which is near impossible nowadays um, with a lot of the covid uh, restrictions um, or do we just knuckle down work with the tenant make sure they're paying, make sure the property's taken care of. Uh, and at the end of the day, it, 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 it's a very good earner. Um, it's one of the best uh, return on uh, capital deployed. So it, it's good in that aspect, but at the same time, it's always a worry. It's it's one of those where, are we going to get paid this month? If we're not going to get paid, how long is, is it before we get paid? Um, Will it be th- three or four months before they actually get the rest of the rent paid? And they always come around eventually, but it's one of those worries. And we're in a rock, between a rock and hard places. Do we sell and not make much money or do we keep persevering and actually uh, take the money that is coming to us? Uh, so, but then there's other tenants which are perfect and it's just, just happy days and it's easy money. You, need, you do your valuations. You go, actually, that's, that's, perfectly fine and not do anything Can, uh, as i mentioned before what's capital deployed is i've got a few which are in my personally so i don't want to then take mortgages out on them and i'm thinking it's making good money for me so i'll leave them alone as simple as that um where anything that's in one of my businesses i will then review and then take money remortgage and then redeploy that capital as well Interesting.
4: Yeah, uh, when it come for us, uh, we look at the rent rent HMOs for. Let's say we, especially now during the COVID period. In the beginning, some of the some of the HMOs was empty, so the our forecast that we we just went down went down the toilet. So we have to check on that. And then the one of the other HMOs needed uh, an extra renovation. Not, not much, but still. So we, we just tried to see why, why that happened, how come, and how we can uh, find maybe uh, the, the, the partners that we're working with should maybe go and find tenants from somewhere else so so we can just
1: pivot. So yeah. Interesting, thanks,
3: Nana. Hey, Carl? Yeah, so um, I'm gonna mention one consideration that we didn't cover earlier. So that's uh, taxation and potentially changes to your personal tax position. So this is something I've, I've been thinking about earlier this year. Um, I've got some properties held personally and some held in a limited company. Uh, so next year, I'm I'm going to be looking to wind up one of my companies. It's only it's only been set up to hold one property, but I'm going to wind up that company, and then I'll I'll consider what to do with that property, whether to either keep it or or, or, or sell it or get rid of the business.
4: Yeah.
1: So um, we talked about you know it's interesting actually people using the metrics or the uh, evaluation process. To make different decisions, we talk about you know decisions about changing management, decisions about it changing tenant, uh, whether to undertake repairs, refurbishment, uh, potentially whether to sell a property uh, and redeploy the um, the proceeds elsewhere. Uh, obviously, the I think you know, if anybody looks at the tax position, say on capital gains, it, it it's like um, there's like a tipping point, isn't there? Where you know you 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 sell and you you hardly pay any effective capital gains. It's it's you know you can you can have twelve and a half thousand pounds per owner capital gains tax free. So two owners you can make twenty five thousand capital gains tax sell that and not pay any tax on it. And then anything above that, of course, it becomes a marginal tax rate. So but then at what point does it become too expensive to sell? People some have also talked about releasing money from property. So if the equity is built up, perhaps you can release funds. And um, I don't know what people are doing with those funds, but I dare say they're reinvesting. Would that be fair? Or people? No, no one's living off that that pro, those proceeds in this group, are they? I've heard some people talk mean, about. Not yet. Yeah, I've heard some people talk about that. It's not my favourite strategy, um, I think it can be quite high risk. And there's another one, um, probably I there hasn't been mentioned. Don't think it's been directly mentioned anyway, um, which is repurposing the property. So, you know, you, if it's from one usage, single let, you could repurpose it to another usage, say multi-let or service accommodation or vice versa. So that's, um, I often go through, personally, I go through like a portfolio review exercise myself once a year for the entire portfolio. And I'm looking, you know, I do a red, amber, green scoring system. I look at return on equity, fun enough, car, you were talking about that. Uh, return on equity. So, what equities in the in the property versus what cash have you put in the property? Look at both, red, amber, green them against my preset criteria, and then I basically say, okay, on a case by case basis. So, so, what? What am I going to do about that? Could I sell it? Could I release capital? Could I redeploy it? Do I need to renovate it? Um, you know, to, I, I, that's what I personally do. So, does anybody do something a bit like that?
2: Not so much redeploying because. Most of mine are very particular types of property in particular areas. So it would be probably good if I could. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely do the annual review, and rent review, et cetera. But repurposing is it's not something that would fit my portfolio. Cool.
1: Okay. Well, you know, that's um... – that's that's kind of uh, the top line things I, I wanted to talk about, but in in terms of you know in terms of the investment criteria or deal review or portfolio review, is there anything else that people kind of do or think about or you know suggest people consider?
3: suppose thinking about the portfolio review. Um, I don't do this, but you could potentially take an area into consideration. so how how has the area changed since you've invested? Um, has it come up? Has it come down? So maybe scenario an area you don't want to invest in anymore. I suppose equally, what's what's your investment area? Do you like to invest locally? And maybe you're moving. So do you need to sell up all your properties? And so maybe location comes into it a bit. Yeah, location.
1: And, you know, it's funny because Nana said earlier, didn't you, you talked about they try to invest near HS2, um, you know, um, infrastructure growth. If that actually happens, by the way, <laughs> hopefully it will. Hopefully it will. Crossrail hasn't happened yet. So uh, HS2, Which I don't know which part of HS2 you're looking at, but maybe the, the link to Birmingham might be a little stronger bet than some of the other components. Let's see. But, um, okay, maybe in some passing thoughts, anything that, you know, you just want to think about uh, or share with the listeners that you do or a top tip or don't do in this particular area in, in closing. Um, and, and, and if so, we can share that uh, now. Otherwise, you know, I think we'll just go around the table and just have some passing thoughts before we close off the conversation today.
2: Yeah, one thing um, I'd just like to reiterate is the fact that don't go down and rub it, Warren, when you do analyzing your deals. Just have a, a very brief overview of what you're doing first. Um, have a, a very clear insight to what is your return on investment? How much can you invest? What, what are you investing in? Is it by single by to let or is it HMO is it service accommodation? Have all those thoughts before you start then going to the nth degree on analysing that deal and then getting mortgage quotes and doing anything, then deciding put an offer in and then it's too late, it's gone. Um, have a brief overview, talk to the, the agents who are involved, make sure that what you're thinking suits the seller uh, and then work from there. That's what I could add.
4: So I, I think people <clears throat> should uh, try different strategies and just feel what they what's good for them Uh property is a very forgiving asset class so you can try it don't be reckless but try it and see if if you want to do HMOs or if you want to do developments or just simple buy-to-lets or essay so because it's it's a wide range of uh, different type of strategies that you can do or even social housing. so just try it and do your stuff.
0: I mean, just to further extend on all that as well, so we've talked about metrics and um, analysis. So I'd, I'd say it's important to, to, to get systems in place so you can track all this. Um, I mean, it's not going to be perfect the first time, and I'm, I'm still working on what I do. But obviously, once you've got a framework there and you've got something in place, you can you can extend that, and then you know what you need to add for the next time, and you can build upon it. So, um, yeah, I'd say don't go in kind of blindly. Try, try to work on... Um, yeah, even if it's like a spreadsheet to start with, that's better than nothing. So just try and get things down. Yeah. And then you can refine it as you go forward. Good point.
3: This is what I get for going last. So Jeff mentioned my point I was going to say about, like, analysing at different levels and just try to get down. And then Dom very kindly covered my about system. So sorry. <laughs> it's a good point. I think systems for me is the most important one. Uh, without uh, encroaching on a future episode, um I I make sure that all of the leads that come in um, are captured in the system and then we we gradually add more and more information as the deal survives subsequent rounds of analysis and then at some point it will evolve into um analysis spreadsheets and capturing files in a in a shared drive. Um so yeah that that all that collateral will gradually build and build as as we get deeper into the deal.
1: Very good. Well, you think you were last. What about me? I've got to maybe follow that now with a couple oh, yeah. of extra thoughts. I'm like, what's left? So no, it's really good, really good stuff that's been covered. I think for me, the 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 most obvious thing to add to it of all would be there's not such a thing as a perfect deal. Um, so you know, there's usually a compromise or a trade-off in some respect. So, if people are looking for the perfect deal, it isn't really out there. Um, someone might write into me and say, "I've got the perfect deal," um, but you know, it, it generally, there's some kind of trade-off. I have a, a, a checklist. There's usually about fourteen things on my checklist. Not usually on one of them. There's fourteen things on my checklist. I very rarely get fourteen out of fourteen when I'm looking at a transaction. When I'm looking at opportunity, um, I think the other thing is we talked about systems. But I also think having a habit or routine that, that, you know, you go back and review. And so that you if you have a trigger point, so I have deliberate triggers. So we talked about them as we've gone along. Um, but just to remind people, have a deliberate trigger. My tax return is a deliberate trigger. A remortgage is a deliberate trigger. A change of tenant is a deliberate trigger. So I always go and look at my properties and my portfolio with those triggers And then I do the red, amber, green, and then I go ask myself the question, so what? Um, Am I going to do anything about this? And, you know, even if it's not performing at that point in time, I try and project forward and think about the future. And I think about the future, not just about the rental performance or the capital growth. I think Jeff made the point really well about, um, well, what's going to happen to this property? Am I going to have to invest more money, you know, to maintain the standard? Are things going to need to be replaced at some point in the future? Do I have the capital available to do that? Is now a good time to maybe opt out before that happens? Am I topped out in the market when I want to cash out? Am I at the bottom of the market where maybe I've got a bit of growth to do? So I think it's about decision-making. I think, um, you know, have, have systems, have written criteria, have your metrics, have a process and a habit and a routine or a trigger, whatever language you want to use, but then use the information to make good decisions. And, um, you know, don't necessarily, you know, standing still is a decision. I choose to stand still, but, you know, at least make a conscious decision. So that's probably how I would leave uh, my my particular point. So just want to thank you all for joining me today. Um, you've all changed order on my screen now, so I can't remember who was first earlier. So I'm just going to go Jeff, Dominic, Nana, and Carl. Thanks very much for joining me today. I'm just going to do my wrap-up. So um, if the-, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, If you want to talk to me about anything from today's episode or anything about Property Core Skills or to reach out to any of our guests, you can reach me, podcast, at thepropertyvoice.net. I look forward to hearing from you. But I guess all that remains to say thanks very much for my panelists for joining me this week. And thanks for you for listening Uh, once again this week on the Property Voice podcast. And until next time, it's ciao, ciao.